Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upburnfrisco.com. All right, open up to Luke 15. Luke 15 is uh, just one of my favorite chapters. It's chock full of uh, revelation. It's just uh, potent with potential to uh, encounter the nature of God and be transformed by his kindness. Uh, At this moment, Jesus has a really big crowd. Uh, It says in, in in Luke 14, near the end, that he's being followed around by large crowds. Um, He's also really annoying the Pharisees and religious leaders again by hanging out with the riffraff, hanging out with sinners and tax collectors and uh, the messy people that Jesus really likes to be around. Um, and at the beginning of Luke 15, it, it really sets that scene. Can you put up? We're, get, we're actually going to read through the whole chapter. I know like at preaching school, they tell you don't do this, but we're going to do this. So if you haven't had a chance to read a chapter of the Bible today, now it's going to happen. So can you put up uh, Luke 15 verse 1? We're going to read this whole chapter, and then what I want to do is just revisit some places where I feel like the Lord has shown me things about his nature. Luke 15:1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners. <laughs> I got that one got me. I got myself. This man was I don't know, I can't do it. We'll never get through this if I impersonate the Pharisees the way they sound in my brain. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. But then Jesus told them this parable. Now pause. Pause for a second. If you are a a Bible highlighter or an underliner, I would (laughs) encourage you to highlight or underline the word this. Because Luke is, he's very specific with his words. He's a very smart dude. And if you look at this chapter, there are There are section titles, right? And the section titles, what do they read? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But Luke is implying that this is one parable. He's not saying these parables. So instead of looking at it like it's three separate stories, look at it like it's a song with three verses. Okay, moving on. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Okay, go back one section, one line. You see that last sentence? Doesn't he go after the lost sheep And if you are a highlighter or an underliner, I would underline 
until he finds it. The perseverance of that shepherd, right? Okay, let's carry on. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous uh, who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully? What's that word? How valuable are you to the Lord? She, she searches carefully until she finds it. So when does she stop searching? When she finds it. Keep going. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. But he got up and went to his father. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, and this is the, the, the thing that the son had rehearsed in his head. This is what he's going to pray. This is what he's going to say to the father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You go back, I'm just getting choked up. <laughs> so they began to celebrate. <sighs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him 
what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. So now it's, he's getting real. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, see how the father turned it around. But this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a beautiful section of scripture, isn't it? And it's full of incredible things that we can learn. And um, what I want to do now is just, is just share with you some of the things I feel like God has, has shown me from this chapter. And as always, with everything I ever say to you, you can take it or leave it. But I, you can take it to the Holy Spirit. You can ask him what he thinks about it. This is what I feel like the Lord has shown me from uh, this parable. Uh, and I'm going to jump around a little bit and just highlight moments where this chapter has really impacted me. Um, you know, when, when Jesus is talking in parables, it's important to, like, begin to grasp some of the big themes, right? And, and all the details are really, really beautiful, but um, we don't want to miss the, the forest for the trees and, and just and extrapolate on, on one little detail too much. And, and so um, I'm going to do my best just to jump around and share what I love about this section of Scripture. Um, we learn all sorts of things in this. Um, we don't learn all that much about us, or, but we learn a, it seems like we learn a whole lot about the heart of God through the shepherd and the woman and the father. And it's important to remember that at this moment, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees who are dogging him for hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And so when Jesus is sharing this story, he is cutting to the heart of the situation uh, through, these, through this you know, three-tiered story. Why does Jesus tell stories to begin with? Because he's talking to religious people. And stories have this incredible ability to sneak past the security systems of our brain and find their way right into our hearts. Also, if Jesus just stood up and actually said all the doctrinal stuff he believes about himself, he would have been crucified a lot faster. <laughs> but he tells these stories because they, there are truths on so many different levels. And sometimes the story reads you more than you read the story. Sometimes Jesus tells a story because he knows it's going to take us 10 years uh, to unpack that thing. 
because at the, at the onset of the story, we might be the villain in it. Or at the onset of the story, we might read it in a way where we're justifying some false thing we believe about the Father, but the story sticks in our heart. And over years and years of marinating on it and chewing on it over and over again, we have this journey of discovering a more beautiful picture of our Father. See, when Jesus is telling stories, the Pharisees are probably like, their, their brains are short-circuiting, right? They're like, wait a minute, is he saying that, wait, is he talking about us? Like, wait, that's not what Moses said. Like, wait. <laughs> and before they can even like, begin to persecute him for one point that he's made, he's already moved on to another story or he's just left you know, the vicinity in general. So I do believe that this parable, the purpose of it is to reveal the, the heart and nature of God more than it is revealing uh, all that much about us. Because the first one is sheep, right? Sheep are dumb animals, right? Just wandering around. That sheep didn't even know it was lost, right? Right? And coins are inanimate objects. So it, it weren't... It, you can't really like devolve like much into the the nature of humanity from the sheep and coin other than to say that we're dumb and we don't know when we're lost at times like when we're deceived we don't even know that we're deceived it doesn't say that the sheep did something to be found it doesn't say that the coin did something to be found now, the lost son, the lost son does tell us more about, you know, the, the nature of humanity. Um, but even his repentance seemed a little bit weird, like a little bit off. He said things like, I'm, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But right when the father saw him, all the father could exclaim was, my son, my son, my son, my son. That line where it says, while he was still a long ways off, has just been wrecking me. When the father saw, let me put it like this. No matter where you're at in your journey in life, you could have been a sinning up a storm the last year. You could have rejected Jesus. You could have verbally disowned him last night. But you take one baby step from what you think is that distant country, while you're still a long ways off, he sees you. It's as if like we take half a step and he'll take a million and a half. So if you feel really, really lost right now, he values you. Have you ever noticed that um, there, these three sections seem to really mirror the, the son and the spirit and the father, like all three are kind of the hero in this story? So the first one, you obviously have the shepherd who is leaving the 99 for the one lost. And just like Jesus, this shepherd seeks out and saves. Just like Jesus, this shepherd suffers in carrying, carrying 
the lost lamb from wherever it had wandered. And then the next section is the woman who lights a lamp, like the Holy Spirit. Even, even Holy Spirit, the word spirit is ruach, which is a feminine word. And so you have the Holy Spirit in this moment, like this, this woman is like the Holy Spirit in this moment, lighting a lamp. Who enlightens? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit lights a lamp and begins seeking for this lost coin. And then you have the Father, at the end, the last verse of this song, the father who rejoices, the father who like, painfully misses connection with that son and celebrates when he returns. I think this parable reveals the value system of God and just how much he values humanity. Because you have at the end, with the, with the two sons, you know, one out of two isn't enough. Not for him. And the woman, having nine out of the ten isn't enough. Not for her. And you have the shepherd. 99 out of 100 isn't enough for him. He's still going. When the sheep was lost, whose sheep was it? When the coin was lost, whose coin was it? And when the son was lost, did he cease being a son? Whose son was it? So with that story of 99 out of 100, that's, that's a large number. And I feel like the Lord is saying, like, you might feel lost in this world or you might feel lost in this crowd, but I see you and I'm coming after you. And the next one is even smaller, the nine out of 10. You might feel like you're lost in a, in a family or lost in the church, or, you, or maybe you've left the church, but I value, your value to me hasn't changed. I'm coming after you. And then the one out of two, you, you, may have, you might feel lost in a family or like not valued by your father or that for some reason, Father God loves the other son more than you. And so you go off, you might have resentment in your heart. You may have mom or dad wounds that have completely misportrayed the heart of the father to you. And he's saying, I value you. I will run off the porch and come to you. I will celebrate you. See, that son that came home, he got more than mercy. He, was, he had a prayer, a sinner's prayer, right, that got interrupted by the father. He had everything he was going to say lined out just right. And, and as he's like halfway through, dad's like, shh, 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 get the fattened calf. Bring the best robe. Put that ring on his finger. Give him a family ring. Put the crest back on his hand. What we don't realize is that even when we were lost, we belonged to someone. We were cherished like that sheep. We had value like that coin, and we were beloved like that son of his father. 
I believe that we've inherited uh, this false idea that says that we were born unacceptable sinners, reprehensible and totally depraved before God. And the only way that we can make that right is to accept what Jesus has done and take on this cloak of invisibility that hides us from dad's anger. And even though we've, we're disguised or taken on this, this image type thing of, of Jesus, there's still you know, our past, like this stench on us. And so Jesus, he disguises us and sneaks us past the disapproving eyes of the Father into heaven. Beloved, heaven is not a costume party. Heaven and earth are actually waiting for you to be revealed. Your value to the Father is an inestimable. Could you imagine, you know, we're partying together in the new heaven, the new earth, we're with all the rest of the regenerated saints and, you know, these glorious angels and these rad living creatures that are described in the book of Revelation. And we're just partying and celebrating that it's all done and the tears are wiped away from our eyes and we're hanging out with Jesus and it's amazing. And then the father walks in the room and you're like, oh. <laughs> 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 I made this if anyone wants it. <laughs> goodness. <laughs> I did that because I need to laugh at the silly things I used to believe. I used to believe that, that I wasn't invited. He, he snuck me in. But guys, we're not even Jesus's plus one. You're invited. You're wanted. Heaven and earth are waiting for the sons to be revealed, for you to be fully you. We're not going to just die someday and be absorbed into the collective and cease having our distinctive amazingness. We're going to become fully us and be celebrated in the Father's heart forever and ever. When Moses and Elijah stepped out of the great cloud of witnesses, they weren't wearing one of these. They still look just like Moses and Elijah. I mean, they were shiny, glorified with the glory that they were meant to always have. Have you ever gone to a party with a friend who, you know, you weren't invited to the party, but the friend's like, it's okay, I can get you in? Do you feel like you belong? You don't feel like you belong, and, and God forbid that that person like, has to leave you for a minute to go off to the bathroom and the host you know, walks up to you. Friends, you're invited. You're desired. You're not Jesus' plus one. See, the Father was in Christ reconciling you to himself, not himself to you. The cross changed you. It didn't change him. The Father wanted you. You are the one who has been known from your mother's womb and cherished by your dad all your days. I believe that our, 
our love for our kids often exposes this trash theology. No one, no one has ever looked at their baby and said, you're just fodder for the fire if you don't straighten up. Acts 17, Paul actually says it like this. We're all God's children. That's what Paul says. Imagine you were born in some like remote village even, like you weren't born in the U.S. You didn't grow up in Judeo-Christian Judeo traditions. You have, you're so far removed from Western civilization, but you're, you're still you. You're just born someplace completely different. Do you consider yourself lesser? I think that maybe the reason Christians have such a hard time loving immigrants and Muslims and homosexuals and people who've left the church is because we don't yet realize that God cherishes them like that lost sheep, values them like that lost coin, and celebrates them like that lost son. This parable does reveal repentance. The repentance is incredibly important, incredibly powerful. Each movement of this story, all three sections involve repentance. The first one is hard to figure out, though, because it's a sheep. <laughs> I've been bad. So that section, it doesn't talk much about the sheep, but it talks a lot about the shepherd. So maybe the repentance that we need to draw from that section is to see the shepherd rightly. Repentance, the word for it is metanoia, which means to change your mind or change the way you think, change the very programming of your brain so that it's defragged, working properly, and every... Uh, operating system leads to God is good. The next section deals with repentance too, but again, it's a coin. You know, what is the coin going to do? But it certainly reveals the nature of the woman, the spirit searching. So maybe the repentance we need to draw, to draw from this section is to see the spirit rightly. I think, that, and obviously the, the last one is the son, and the son did play a role. The son did, it says that he, when he came to himself. Isn't that an interesting phrase? When he came to, so the, the son's repentance was this. Well, my life is horrible now. But then he remembered, my dad has always been good to everyone. His repentance was coming to himself and remembering and knowing that his father is good to everyone. He remembered what it was like in the father's house that his hired servants had more than enough of everything. So let me ask you a question. Was the son's repentance uh, selfless? Were, were his motives pure? He, he just thought to himself, you know, it's time for my father to receive the love that he deserves. Did any of us come to God like that? <laughs> Most of us 
hit rock bottom. And he was waiting for us there. I want this unending, unending wave of repentance to sweep across this church, our town, our state, our nation. I want this wave of repentance to envelop the whole world, which is why I preach the kindness of our Father, because it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So since this parable is about revealing the nature of God, isn't it possible that real repentance is just simply linked to seeing his heart for us rightly? Luke 15.10, it kind of describes the rejoicing that's happening. It doesn't just say that there's rejoicing in heaven. It says in Luke 15.10 that there is rejoicing before the angels. So who is before the angels? or in the presence of the angels in the NIV. And old King Jimmy says, uh, before the angels. So who is in front of the angels? Who's in the presence of the angels? They're seeing all this rejoicing. They're seeing the Father. They're seeing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit getting down, just rejoicing, jumping around, just falling over each other. That one person has begun to see them rightly. What if repentance is more about us seeing that the, the shepherd is someone who will not just hunt us down and find us, but will carry us home? What if repentance is more about seeing that the spirit relentlessly searches, lights a path, light, like is doing anything that she he, the, anything that the Holy Spirit can do to light something for us that we would wake up? And what if repentance is more about seeing the, the Father rightly, that he is the one who misses connection with his son that runs from the porch, throws his arm. You know that that is not stereotypical of an old dude in ancient Israel. Like to behave in such a manner for a, a son that has already screwed up, for him to start running, no, like revered rich men who've got it together, they walk, they're cool, calm, and collected. This dude is running at his son, falling over him, wrapping his arms. He's come unglued. Like that's the kind of emotion that is wrapped up in the heart of our father when we take one half step towards him. And the son was hoping, just hoping for a pardon, but he got a party. He was hoping for just mercy, that just his, his mistakes would be overlooked and that he would be allowed to come back like a servant. And instead of just mercy, he got empowering grace. And instead of just mercy and grace, he got a celebration. I want to say that the Father also cherishes and pursues those Pharisees too. You see at the end, the, the story of the, the older brother, it actually says that the Father goes out to him. We don't know the end of the story, what happens with the older brother, but I think in our hearts we do. This chapter is a dangerous one. 
It's been wrecking me this month. The, the more that I've dove into it, the more I have loved every random person that I run into. And I'm thinking, you're that, you might be that sheep. You might be that coin. You might be that son. Since the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us, we then now get to walk around like that shepherd who is willing to carry someone out of their low point. We now get to walk around like the Holy Spirit who will do anything to light a lamp and find until they are found. And we get to embody the heart of the Father. As a community, we get to party whenever anyone turns to the Lord. There is a humility that it takes for us to say, I am starving because of my own dumb mistakes. I am starving. And to turn to the Lord, but beloved, he doesn't want to hear I'm not worthy. He just wants to throw his arms around you. Can I have the worship team come up and the ministry team come up? Even if there's just keys, yeah, come on up. I just want to facilitate a moment for us to take that step. You might be like one of the 100 feeling like you don't matter that much. You might feel lost in the world or lost in the crowd. Or you might be like one of those coins and you don't know your value. And you might be like the prodigal, if you're anything like me, I've got the prodigal story, or you might be someone um, who um, you've, never, you've never left the house of God, and I admire you so much, but maybe you've missed out on the pleasures of his presence. And um, I know that that probably covers like everyone in the room, so why don't we just stand in his presence? And can I have the ministry team come up? Sometimes there is something very powerful about engaging our will and doing something with our body that releases a new level of spiritual power and grace in our life. There's something about the humility of stepping forward. And so we're going to just spend a minute in the presence of the Lord. Ashley probably has a chorus that she'll be singing over us. Um, but if you want to say with your body that I'm taking that half step towards you, Dad. If you want to say that, then you're welcome to come forward while we just let the Holy Spirit minister for a little bit. <laughs> 